Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. I am your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's conversant is Vera, who is a Finnish YouTuber who has been documenting her detransition on YouTube over the past year and such, some months. Her story is very powerful. She has not had an easy life whatsoever, and yet she has proven herself to have an incredibly resilient and inspiring spirit. And I'm absolutely honored to have her on my show and to introduce you to her if you don't know her already. Her YouTube channel is called The Honesty Project, and that will be linked down in the description. Do go ahead and check out her videos when you get a chance. Without further ado, here is Vera. There's this period of the people that I've spoken to who have detransitioned where they are in a state of extreme fragility. And the impulse uh, for some of them to speak out, uh, to, to publish that or to go public with that, it, it's not always the best option um, because there's so much processing that's going on that the, the, the speaking out helps, but at the same time, there's so much vulnerability that it can get kind of sticky and messy. And so it was pretty wise of you to start it, but delay it. Why did you decide to delay? I needed to know that I'm fine before the videos go up. I needed to know that I'm in a good place before I upload the videos. And I also did like different measures to like distance myself from my own YouTube channel. Like I have a different Gmail account for it. I use a different browser on my laptop for my YouTube channel and my like like regular YouTube viewing. Like I, I'm not logged into my YouTube channel all the time. At the beginning, I didn't respond to any comments at all. And I quit all social media and there is no like private way of anyone to contact me because I didn't want to have one-on-one interactions with anyone. So I needed to take all these measures to keep my privacy and to keep myself safe and secured. And I needed to have distance and I needed to know that I'm fine and I'm safe. But why go public? Well, I've always been oversharing <laughs> as a person because I've never been taught boundaries. And I think it's partly because I grew up in foster care and I always had social service, social security people coming into the home and like interview me. Like, what are your hobbies? What are you doing? What are you doing in your free time? Do you have friends? What are you doing at school? And there has never been anything private about my life. And there is all this like archives of information about my life and my background and history and all that. So I don't think I've ever had privacy. And the way I was brought up was to not have privacy because we weren't sheltered 
from reality or truth or anything. Well, we were lied to, but in a very harsh way. So when I was a kid, there was no pretending that people aren't dying, people aren't doing drugs or alcohol or suffering from mental illnesses. So it's always been very brutal and open and public, everything in my life. Mm -hmm. So I'm just used to that. And I've never understood like what is (laughs) public, what is private, what is small dog, what is not. Hmm. When did symptoms come up of a uh, distress around your notion of your gender and your body and etc.? So, yeah, in my childhood, like, as I said, I grew up in foster care and in my foster family, I was the first girl in the family because the foster family, they had biological sons and they had older kids who were also boys. So I was the first girl in the family. And I always felt like that put me like that placed so much stress on me to be the perfect girl because the foster mom had been waiting to have a girl. And there was this dream girl idea, like who I'm supposed to be. And then I show up and I didn't live up to those expectations. So as a kid, I was happily tomboy. I wanted to wear boys clothing and I was given boys clothing from the older kids in the foster family and in the neighborhood. And I was happily playing with the boys and fighting and exploring the forests and living my countryside countryside childhood. So... I wasn't girlish. I wasn't living up to the princess princess ideal. And I didn't have an issue with my gender or my biological sex. So it was put on me by my foster family because my earliest memories of my life is my foster mom yelling at me that you are not a girl, you are not a boy, you are some type of fucking neutral. And she made it really clear to me that I am disappointment, I'm a failure. I failed at something that I didn't even try. I failed at something so fundamental than living up to my biological sex and being a girl. I didn't even try to do or be anything, but I failed. And that's what I learned as as a young child. And I have these memories when I wanted always to wear boys clothing and then I finally got boys clothing like the full outfit and everything that I wanted I was happy and I was content and at the same time my foster mom was ridiculing and humiliating me about it and bullying me and like calling me names and like just trying to make me feel bad about it and to shame me about feeling good in boys clothing so that I wouldn't want to wear the boys clothing anymore and she wanted it to pressure me into being this perfect princess girl, which didn't even make any sense because my childhood was very rough, very old fashioned, like do your chores and perform, 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 ski to school. And like I had the childhood that everyone makes memes out of, like how our grandparents went to school, like that's me. (laughs) Like I literally did ski to school. And at the same time, there was this expectation that I have to be this like princess girl. And it didn't make any sense within the context of my childhood when I was like playing in the forest and fighting with the boys all the time. So I didn't have an issue with myself, but other people did. And as a kid, I had friends who were also tomboys and they grew up to be very tomboyish women. And they are happy to be women, but they have like very masculine jobs and hobbies. But I grew up to be feminine, but 
identifying as a gay man. So it's interesting to me to see how our paths kind of differentiated. Hmm. But yeah, then moving on from my childhood, as a teenager, I was already losing weight. I was already getting sicker with my eating disorder. And when I was 13 and my puberty puberty hit and like it was like immediate, like I turned 13 and my body went like, okay, it's puberty time. And I couldn't handle that. And at that point, at 13, I had already been suicidal and depressed and like violent to myself and self-harming and losing weight. And I was already drinking alcohol and everything was already going to shit. My biological parents, they were already dead. My grandpa was dead. Everyone around me was dying. And every, everything was spiraling out of control. And I felt like my body is betraying me. My body is doing all of these things. Like, I didn't want any of this. I didn't ask for this. I didn't decide on this. And I was very online. And as a teenager, I was reading like pro and content online. And I knew that I can stop my puberty by being skinny enough, basically. So I just lost weight and lost weight and lost weight until I no longer developed. Like I had like very small chest. I didn't like have like a lot of curves or anything. And I quit my periods and I was happy about that because I felt like I have control over this. And then later on, when I started to question my gender, I reframed that to be the symptom of gender dysphoria. And I thought that, okay, so my anorexic behavior, it was my way of coping with my puberty and my body changing and my biological sex. So that means I'm trans. And in that moment in my life, it made sense. But now as I've detransitioned, I've realized it was the loss of control in my life in general, that I needed to have control over my body and I hated my body because my body was doing things that I didn't want or I couldn't handle because I couldn't handle having periods because it was painful. And I talked about this on my YouTube channel and someone commented that there was a fancy word for it, but I forgot what the word was. But it's basically a fear of blood or a phobia of blood. Mm. And that made a lot of sense to me. Like I just couldn't handle it because in my head, if I see blood, it means I'm dying and I need to be rushed to the hospital. So I just couldn't handle having periods. And that also contributed to the fact that I needed to lose enough weight to get rid of that. So basically my puberty uh, started when I was 13 and it ended when I was 14. Mm -hmm. And then I was happy by that. And I knew it's not healthy and I knew it's not the right thing to do, but I was so desperate at that point in my life that I felt like, this is the only thing I can do. And then I stayed like that throughout my teenage years. And I was also drinking heavily and I was dissociative and traumatized. And then when I was living in my second foster family, I was I got asked when I was 17 by my foster mom, my new foster mom, like, why are you not asking us money to buy you like 
feminine hygiene products? Like, are you buying everything on your own money? Or why are you not asking for us for money? Like, don't you have beauty? Like, don't you develop? Like, what's going on with you? And then I finally confessed to my new foster mom at 17 that, oh, yeah, yeah, I started puberty at 13. And I ended my puberty when I was 14. And then my second foster mom forced me to see a doctor. And then I had to go on hormones to kickstart my puberty again. Oh. And my like hormonal production in my body. And the first hormone uh, medication didn't even work. So I had to go on another one. And then that worked. But that was also really difficult to start developing again. And I still couldn't handle it. I was still drinking heavily. I was still like chaotic. Everything in my life was chaotic. And then when I was in my early 20s, I saw all this like trans activism on the internet and on Tumblr, on YouTube. And I met trans people in real life, I think. And I started to read all about this trans stuff. And I started to look back at my life and I was like, oh, this explains everything. Like, this is who I am. This is the explanation for all of my suffering. And at that point in my life, I was so desperate to have some type of solution and to save myself that I was willing to believe that I am transgender and that's the solution to my suffering. And I was willing to go through a medical transition and I was willing to believe that I'm a man so that I could save myself. So that's when I started to, first I started to believe that I'm gender fluid or agender or non-binary. And then I started to realize that the only way to not to be female is to become a man. Because people are not recognizing me as agender or gender fluid or non-binary. Like, I have to become a man. And I had a lot of uh, deeply traumatic events throughout my life. And I couldn't trust anyone. And I was desperate. And I suffered with a lot of mental health issues. And I needed to have a simple solution and a quick fix. And transitioning, it's so dramatic. But to me... It seemed like, oh, this is going to solve everything. This is easy. I can do this because I couldn't face the fact that there's nothing inherently wrong with me and I'm not transgender, but I just couldn't accept that my life has been so difficult and traumatic that my mental health is destroyed. So I was willing to believe that I'm a man. So I went from... Gender fluid, agender, non-binary, non-binary trans masculine to trans masculine to trans man. And I started my transition by having a double mastectomy. Before the hormones? Okay. Because I was identifying as non-binary and that's the non-binary thing to do. Because I didn't want to go on hormones and I didn't feel like, why Like why would I go on hormones? Like, I didn't have any reason to go on hormones when I was identifying as agender or non-binary or whatever. So I just wanted to not be so female. So I wanted to still, I wanted to get rid of my periods. I got medication for that because I still couldn't handle having periods. So I got medication to get rid of my periods and I got double mastectomy and that also 
Also, reason why I got first the double mastectomy and not the hormones and all that was because in Finland, transitioning is part of public health care and gender clinics are part of public health care. So we don't have anything like informed consent in Finland. It's very strictly legislated process and it's a long and complicated process. But I heard in a support group when I was going to these like trans groups and all that, I heard that there is a private hospital and a plastic surgery, a plastic surgeon who is willing to operate on people to do double mastectomy before they are diagnosed, before they are going through the official process. So that is like, my understanding is that it's like borderline illegal, but it's somehow like, somehow you can do it. But also, I don't know, because my understanding is that private hospitals and plastic surgeons, they are legally allowed to perform like gender affirming surgeries if people have been diagnosed to be trans and if the waiting lines are too long for the public healthcare plastic surgeons then they can also perform those surgeries but i booked my uh, appointment for consultation with the surgeon like immediately when i found out that's possible and i had my consultation and when i walked out from that consultation, I was like, okay, so can I just book my surgery now? Like, is it possible? Can I do that? And then the office lady was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Like, when do you want to be (laughs) at the surgery? And I was like, oh, sure. Okay. So in a couple of months. So I didn't book it like the next week. I gave myself like a couple of months because I was thinking that I'm going to lose weight so that there's going to be less to operate. Although I did I didn't even have big boobs to cut anyways, I don't know. But I I gave myself like a couple of months to think about it and to prepare for the surgery. And I didn't even really tell anyone that I'm going to the surgery. And also the thing about Finland is that transitioning is pretty much free if you do it at the public healthcare because we have free or very cheap public healthcare. But if you do it on the private, then it costs you money. And the thing about me is that because most of my biological family is dead, so then when I was younger, I inherited money. So I had money, I had a lot of mental illnesses, and I was out of control. So I was able to walk into a consultation and get a double mastectomy just because I wanted. I didn't have to ask money from anyone. I didn't have to rely on anyone. I didn't have to talk to my family because they were already dead. So I was able to make these decisions and I just did it. And I was I was talking to my therapist before that before the operation and my therapist was asking me like what's the rush why are you rushing this like to me it sounds like you are not ready to do this and I was like let's let's not talk about it I'm just gonna get it done and let's think about it later it's a problem for future me so I got it done and five days after the surgery I had complete meltdown and like nervous breakdown and I was on medications and my scars were like like there was some blood coming through and like I was in pain and and I was thinking to myself like what have I done like this this is too much like I'm too far from normal now like all I wanted was to be normal and now I'm too far from the normal 
And I had that one day when I felt like I'm completely losing my mind. But after that, I was like, okay, so I'm just not going to talk about it. I'm not going to think about it. I'm just going to move on with my life. And that's it. And since then, I've been kind of indifferent about it. I'm like, okay, I don't care. And I did tell my friends and some of my friends were really like weirded out. Like, why exactly did you get that surgery? But I didn't have like a explanation. But in that stage in my life, when I was in my early 20s, I didn't have explanation for anything. I had been diagnosed with anxiety, depression, PTSD, borderline personality disorder, and I don't remember what else, and also like multiple times. But I was kind of in denial about my situation and about my life because I was so willing to believe that I'm a man and that's the explanation. And then after that, I started to identify more as transmasculine and as a trans man because I had this desire to be normal. Because I had the like early childhood experiences of failing. And when I was like a teenager, I, at some point I had this phase when I tried to be super girly girl and I tried my best to be a woman or what I thought woman is, although I didn't want any of that, but I tried my best. And then I had awful experiences as a woman and as a young woman, and that traumatized me even more. So I just like everything kept piling on <laughs> and I just didn't want to be female anymore. And I realized that I can't be recognized as non-female. Like I can't be no female <laughs> unless I'm I'm a man and I'm seen as a male. And I had more and more like traumatic experiences as a woman, as a gender non-confirming woman, as a lesbian looking woman. I didn't identify as a lesbian, but the rest of the world thought that I am a lesbian and I got some like harassment because of that. And I just felt like, okay, in order for me to be safe and to be normal, I have to become a man. So then I finally started the process at the public healthcare. And because I had already had a double mastectomy, then they were like, okay, so you are clearly transgender because you have already paid 5,000 euros for your surgery. Like we can see all of your medical history, all of your life's history in your medical records. And at my first meeting at the gender clinic with the doctor, he told me that I read through your files and I thought that you are not suitable for this. You have too many like traumatic life events and mental health issues and everything that we are not going to accept you to the gender clinics and not to approve you to the transitioning. Because in Finland, they also say no to people. If they see that people are too troubled, then they say no, and then they can come back in a year or two if they work through their other mental health issues or if they have like a chaotic life situation or whatever. But then the doctor told me, but now that I have met you, you seem completely fine and there is no issues. There is nothing stopping you from transitioning because 
I've always been able to present me as a high-functioning, smart person. And I have always been able to keep up the appearances that there's nothing wrong in my life or with me. And that's what I did. And then I got the approval and I got out of the gender clinics assessment period in six months, which is the minimum amount of time that you have to go through. You have to meet doctors and nurses and psychologists and sometimes social workers. And it ranges a lot, like how long that assessment period is but for me it was the minimum amount of time and they were like yeah yeah you are transgender there's nothing stopping from you to transition and then I started hormones when I was 25 so that was in 2017. How did uh, how did testosterone affect you? At the beginning I was excited and happy I remember I did a recording on my phone talking to myself before I started testosterone, asking myself the question, what am I fixing with this? Why am I doing this? And I didn't have an answer to myself, like, what am I fixing? Because I had this like suspicious <laughs> voice in my head that I was thinking that I'm addicted to fixing myself because I can't seem to fix myself, so I'm endlessly fixing myself. So what am I fixing? But then I was like, yeah, yeah, let's not talk about that. Let's not think about that. And I started testosterone and I was really happy at the beginning. And I felt like it gave me confidence. It eased my anxiety. It made me more calm. And as someone who has been diagnosed with anxiety, depression, PTSD and borderline personality disorder, and I was very emotional at times, in my life, to be calm was lovely. <laughs> I was so happy to be calm. I was like, this is so blissful. And I started to grow like more muscle mass. I started to feel more safe. I had unfortunately like a shit ton of acne, really, really like deeply rooted painful acne on my face, on my chest, on my back, on my butt, everywhere. It was really painful. It was everywhere. I couldn't even have a backpack because it was so painful on my shoulders and my back. So at some point I had to go on more medications to fix the acne. But at the same time, as I was masculinizing, I felt more safe because I felt invisible. I felt ugly, but I felt safe and I was happy to be safe and I felt strong and calm and confident and competitive and I was happy about all of that because I felt like now I can take over the world there's nothing stopping me now because I'm strong and independent and confident and I'm not emotional I'm not crying I quit crying immediately and my periods stopped immediately like I felt like all my troubles are gone everything's fine and I started to lose like the emotional range that I had but I didn't care I never wanted to have emotions in the first place so <laughs> but as time went on I started to have more rage kind of like the aggressiveness and competitiveness and confidence and all that with the testosterone, it, it started to turn into this frustration and rage 
and that started to be like really consuming and i started to fall into this pit of depression and i had these moments of desperation but i was still going to therapy i was very much in denial that my transition had anything to do with my mental health worsening because i didn't know that my mental health can get any worse <laughs> but it did <laughs> and i was so obsessed with the idea that this is the solution this is going to fix everything that even though my therapist told me before i started testosterone that it's not going to fix your life transitioning is not going to fix you because you are still you and i couldn't hear that i couldn't listen to that because even though my therapist said it like very like to the point frankly to my face that everything that has happened to you in your life has still happened to you becoming a man will not erase your past but i was like nope i'm a new person i'm a man now shut up <laughs> i'm going to be happy but i also had this pressure that i have to be happy like i'm going to be fixed and i'm going to be happy and i have to be happy and at the beginning i was because it was kind of like a science project to keep up with the changes and to grow muscle mass and to hear my voice lowering and it was exciting but also as time went on i started to become more and more dis- dissociative from myself and my body because i couldn't recognize myself anymore I couldn't recognize myself in my face or my body. I was even more out of touch with my body than I had previously been. Although I have always suffered from dissociation and because of my eating disorder past, I've always been detached from my body. But that disconnection just became bigger and bigger and bigger and I started to have like very like this morphic view of myself and i seeked help at the trans uh, support place in finland and i was telling them that i see myself as this monster i can't recognize myself anymore like my body dysphoria may be getting easier but my body dysmorphia is getting worse I am more disconnected from myself than I've ever been. I see myself as a monster that I've created this monster and I had this desire to be ugly and to be invisible so that I can be safe. But then I lost myself from myself and I couldn't recognize myself anymore at all. And at the trans support place they just told me that if i want to get plastic surgery on my face that's fine that's normal and like it's fine if i get these like dysmorphic obsessions about my face and all the surgeries i want to do like that's fine that's fine you can go ahead and get more surgeries and just continue transitioning and things will get better just continue and continue and continue it will get better seeing yourself as a monster it's normal as a trans person if you just continue transitioning everything will be getting better and i was like okay okay trust you i feel better now okay i'm going to continue i think that happened when i was one year on testosterone so i continued 
and I became legally male. I had to deal with the army, the military, because in Finland, men have to do military service. So when I became legally male, I got letter in the mail from the military asking me if I'm going to do my part as a male for this <laughs> country. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. <laughs> like, where's my male privilege? <laughs> I was like, I'm not doing that. Oh, no. <laughs> in in the Finnish winter <laughs> to be doing a military service. But uh, luckily for trans men, it's really easy to get out of military service. You just okay. say you are trans and they're like, okay, so you don't have to do that. But the rest of the men, they they do the military service. And I think like... I also had this stupid idea that becoming man will fix all of my problems in life and I will gain male privilege because I come from a very broken foster family background. Then I thought that now I'm going to be successful because I'm going to be a man. I'm going to have male privilege and everything is going to be so easy and wonderful because men have it so easy and then <laughs> the military is asking me <laughs> when I'm gonna join the force and I'm like oh, never <laughs> like just give me the privilege but none of the responsibilities mm-hmm. of men and yeah then I started to realize that yeah that wasn't exactly what I was thinking <laughs> and then eventually I had my hysterectomy total hysterectomy hysterectomy. So I was on testosterone for three years. I've had double mastectomy and I've had total hysterectomy and my body no longer produces hormones on its own. So when I detransitioned, I had to start estrogen. So yeah, I did all of the things that I was planning on doing when it comes to my transitioning. Because I was never planning on having a bottom surgery because I thought that that's insane. That's too many surgeries. That's too invasive. And I I don't want to do that. But my plan and my goal for my transitioning was to do that. Like double mastectomy, hormones, legal recognition as a male, male name and hysterectomy. No more periods ever again in my life. <laughs> and no... Uh, like scare of, of getting pregnant because that's something that has always like freaked me out and even as a kid as a young adult it was always clear to me that I will never have biological kids because I thought that my genetic material is so awful that I will not curse anyone with my genes So um, that's also something that I decided by myself, for myself, and something that it's been kind of hard to deal with, like how cruel I am to myself, and I have been. But I did all of my transitioning, and then at the end... I was like, okay, so where's the happiness? Where's the male privilege? Where's the success? Where is everything? Why am I not fixed? And like I said, I started my video diary at 
the fall 2019. And then as I was listening myself doing those video diary entries, I heard myself speaking like so desperately. And that's when I started to seek help again, again. I, I've been seeking help throughout my life, like my entire life. But then I started depression medication. And then I started to see how depressed I was and how suicidal I was because I was preparing to die. And as I started my depression medication and I was no longer consumed by the idea of dying, I was able to get some distance to my mental health issues and I was able to realize that transitioning didn't fix anything. It just made everything worse. And it was this huge distraction for myself about my life. And because of my PTSD, I was acting out of trauma and trying to keep myself safe. So then I started to detransition throughout 2020. Hmm. And it's been complicated and long process to detransition. So that's the everything <laughs> in a nutshell. <laughs> and um why are you so articulate and smart? <laughs> you come across this. <laughs> you said earlier that you're Why so good at being put together. It, it seems like there's two parts of you. There's an inside and an outside. It's just. I think there's, uh, I think it's both nature and nurture. Because what I've been told about my biological mother is that she was extremely smart. She got the best grade in her, like, uh, like final exams at school and she was extremely smart but something went wrong and her life spiraled out of control so I've always been smart I've always been seen as a smart even as a kid and because of my upbringing was so strict and old-fashioned like I think it's difficult to make other people understand what my childhood was like because we had like military discipline. That in the morning, our foster mom would go in the middle of the house and yell and everyone needed to wake up, do your like chores and make your bed, get to the breakfast table, eat your oatmeal. And everyone had to do like everything that you need to do. And you have to ski to school and you have to do your chores and you have to do garden work and you have to perform, you have to perform. And your relatives might go missing and found dead and whatever. You go from funerals to funerals to funerals. Shut up, don't cry. No crying allowed. <laughs> Hmm. And you have to be smart. You have to be brave. You have to be happy. And I think, like, my upbringing and the discipline that I had, it keeps me going. Because I I can't let myself not be disciplined and not to keep going. Like, not keeping going like it's not an option for me like even in my darkest moments when I've been super depressed I've been like okay so today I have to get up okay today I have to turn up turn the lights on I have to shower I have to do something every day one more thing I have to do and even as a teenager when I was 
struggling with an eating disorder, I was like, okay, I can recognize I have these anorexic thoughts in my head. Like, this is not me thinking this, this is the disease. And I have these anorexic rules and behaviors, and I can observe my thinking patterns and my behavior patterns. And now I'm starting to break these patterns and rules. And then I did that. And as a 22-year-old, I was like, okay, my life is out of control. I need to quit drinking. I went to AA and I quit drinking. So I have this internal structure and discipline. Mm. And I, I am able to observe myself and my life from an outsider perspective. And I've been forced to word my life throughout my entire life. Like I said, I've always had these meetings with social service people and I have to sit down. I've been trained by my foster parents, like what to say, what not to say. And I have to have all the answers to all the questions. I always have to have hobbies. I always have to perform so that I can be the perfect kid. I can keep the appearances of a happy family. No one will suspect anything. And I'm able to answer questions and be happy. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> this is a combination of a lot of things. But I also, I, I didn't know that I'm different than other people. Because, I don't know, I've always been me, so I thought, like, this is how people are. <laughs> but so, I've seen with my foster siblings and a lot of other people in my life that they are not like me. <laughs> and <laughs> I've been really frustrated with people in my life because a lot of times when I try to help people in my life, I, I tell them, like, I see you have this problem. Here is your solution. And here is the plan that I made for you. And now you just go ahead and execute that plan and you will be free from your problems. And <laughs> I'm like, it, it worked for me. Like, why it doesn't work for you? And then everyone just keeps drinking or doing drugs or whatever. And they are so addicted, they can't stop. And I'm like, just quit it. But I've come to the realization that I there's something different about the way I function. <laughs> so there's this very intense amount of processing that you have to do on your inside uh, to yourself and about yourself and examine your emotions, your feelings and, and manage that. Um, and then manage like kind of like the, the immediate life of getting up and, and having a routine. What about the future? What about the world? What do you want to do? What's calling, what's calling you to become and to do in the world beyond functioning? What's more than functioning? <laughs> what do you want? At the moment, I'm uh, studying in an art academy and I'm majoring in photography. I'm halfway done with my studies. And at the moment, I'm interested in like self-made artists. And uh, I don't know how to explain the specific type of people, but they are not like trained professional artists, but they created some type of statue park in a forest. In Finland, we have like that type of like places. So I'm interested in studying those and doing my thesis on that. And then I want to do my master's and become one of those people. That's my <laughs> immediate plan in my life. So eventually I want to have my own apartment or a house. And I want to do all of my businesses as I'm doing now. So doing like videos and uh, content online and selling clothing and doing all that. And once I'm financially stable, I want to study philosophy in a university and become a philosopher. And eventually I might want to get involved in politics. 
I have studied business and entrepreneurship and clothing and all of this stuff prior. So basically, I want to structure my life around me being my own boss and being an entrepreneur and doing whatever I want. So basically doing everything at the same time as I always am. So working in arts and philosophy and being part in a public discourse and conversations and philosophy and maybe politics eventually because I'm very interested in economics <laughs> and I'm leftist but not post left leftist mm -hmm. like defined in the wokeism video by carefree wondering that the current left is post left left and I agree to that but I'm where the original left was. So I'm very interested in politics and economics and lawmaking. <laughs> but I don't know, I want to take part in conversations in like public discussions. So maybe I will become a public intellectual. Is that the phrase or the term? <laughs> uh, we're a dime a dozen, I just have to tell you that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I think that's kind of like a joke. Uh, for me personally, because I, I see myself as this like crazy person in my own house, like doing my all of my million different projects and businesses at the same time and being this like nonsensical entrepreneur, artist, philosopher. And I'm like, like this old person, like ranting about stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's not very like serious, <laughs> but I'm just interested in a lot of things. Yeah. What is something you have been wanting to rant about or beginning to rant about of late? Well, lately it's been the woke stuff. The woke <laughs> stuff. Is that big in Finland? Yes. <laughs> and because I'm an art student, I have to encounter that a lot. And we've had theater students making complaints that they were assigned a task that they have to read Shakespeare. And they said that reading Shakespeare is a form of systematic violence to theater students. So that, of course, makes sense somehow. Does it? And <laughs> no. <laughs> But in their minds, it does. <laughs> so we do have a lot of woke stuff happening in Finland. And especially in the arts, there's a lot of like identity arts and you're not allowed to criticize any of these identity artists and that's also how I got started in arts because I never uh, did, I never wanted to become an artist or I never thought that I'm becoming an artist I was a business student when I was in my early 20s but throughout my activism and throughout my transition I was involved in different creative projects and art projects about identity and gender and all that stuff And that's one of the reasons why I'm detransitioning publicly because I was transitioning like somewhat publicly. So, yeah, then I thought like, okay, this is easy way in. <laughs> All I have to do is to be trans <laughs> and I can use that to my advantage. So whenever I'm like writing about an art piece, art piece, I can use that to my advantage to say that, oh, this is my view of society from my marginalized transgender perspective. And I see other people doing the exact same thing that I was doing. But I'm honest enough to say that I, I do whatever <laughs> I can to 
have an advantage, but they are just victimizing themselves. And that's something that I can't stand. <laughs> Do you have any clues into how to make that go out of fashion? I, th- there was two questions. How do we break people out of that? But I think it's it's a, it's a communal activity, so it has to kind of go out of fashion. It's not located in anyone's brain unless they get kicked out of the herd or wander out of the herd. It's it's herd mentality from my point of view. Maybe you have a different point of view. But how do you change that? Yeah, I was joking with my friend that council culture and this nonsense will not stop until everyone is counseled. <laughs> So maybe we just have to cancel everyone. And people are like doing the Twitter nonsense fighting in Finland as well. Especially the intersectional feminists uh, seem to be fighting with each other about every nonsensical reason. And their feminism seems to be very divisive because they can't even like stay together. I don't know what's happening, but <laughs> I'm not part of that. And in in Finland, it. You have a different narrative, cultural uh, narrative than America and the UK. And I've kind of spoken with a lot of feminists from the UK and from America. What is the role of feminism in Finland? Aren't you, aren't you folk like the most gender uh, egalitarian of any place in the world, right? Uh, Not the most. We are maybe uh, like third. Okay. Number three. But but all the Scandinavian and Northern European countries, we are competing in our own rank. Okay, it's yeah. we are competing with each other, and the rest of the world is following us. <laughs> so sometimes Finland can win. Sometimes I think Iceland is always winning the okay. the absolute first. But w- what's the role of feminism but, <laughs> in a culture that doesn't need it anymore? I am sorry yeah, to say that. Maybe that's it. That's exactly my point, because I think the end of feminism is inevitable. Because when you have reached everything that you wanted to win in society, then feminism no longer needs to exist. But I guess that's when you invent the intersectional feminism and you just invent new victim categories and new forms of oppression or whatever. But I don't understand any of that. But we do have issues with domestic violence. And like we still do have issues, but we don't have the American issues. We don't have to fight about... uh, paid maternity leaves like we have really good systems for parents and parenthood and mothers we have free public health care free education free daycare it's like Finland is a great place to be a parent I don't know why it didn't work for my parents or my foster parents but Hmm. to other people (laughs) it works out and yeah we have won all the big battles like long time ago. We don't have to fight about abortion rights or whatever. Like everything is already like normal. So I'm not exactly sure what the feminists are fighting about in Finland. Because one of the biggest gender equality issues is the fact that military service is mandatory for men, but it's voluntary for women. But um, that's uh, it's seen as this like 
I don't know, weapon against feminism, like, oh, the male right, men's right activists, they always bring that up when they want to shit on feminism. But I think it is the biggest gender equality issue that we have. Hmm. And now if you Google Finnish government, like all of the leaders, ministers, prime ministers, everyone is female. Our president currently is a man. And maybe now one female minister was replaced by a male one. But yeah, to me, it's it's a little bit um, a mystery that what is the feminist cause. But now there is some feminists, I guess, who are fighting against uh, this gender ideology stuff. But I think they are very tiny minority. I think that most of the feminists, they are... Well, there is uh, flashing the boobs feminists in Finland. (laughs) (laughs) They're they're, they're, uh, like big on the free the nipple. (laughs) And they do these events where they are like flashing their boobs at locations. And one of them flashed her boobs in live broadcast at our Independence Day uh, party in TV. And our Independence Day, it's not like barbecue and fireworks and this party. It's like very serious, very like a very serious uh, formal thing. And it's in the president's castle or whatever. Independence from what? From Sweden's uh, ridicule or? Uh, From Russia, because Finland became independent uh, like 100 years ago. So we are like freshly independent. But Finland used to be part of Sweden and then Russia came and then we were part of Russia. And then we decided that no more. (laughs) So there is this like famous quote that we don't we are not Swedish and we don't want to become Russians. So let us be Finnish. Mm. So we have our like really like formal Independence Day dances and that type of things. So it was the important feminist thing to do to go flash your boobs in TV. Yeah. And that yeah. caused uh, a, a scene. To make a protuberance into those proceedings. But there's another way of, of looking at that question about feminism in Finland. Uh, you could have easily, and maybe you've toyed with these ideas, maybe you will end up toying with these ideas, but uh, relook through your past experience as... Um, owing uh, or, or a certain amount of your uh, difficulty in life as owing to gender stereotypes or owing to uh, gendered expectations. What do you think about that? I mean, that, that's a form of the gender critical feminist uh, project. To what extent is that useful for you? Have you toyed with that? Is, do you want to even like relook at your life through that lens as opposed to, uh, I guess, a mental health lens or or some other uh, narrative? I do think that that's part of my story and I think that I had the pressure to conform to like gender norms and all that but I think when it came from my foster mom it was part of a generational trauma because what of like a lot of the experiences that she put me through was the same that she had been through in her childhood and in her life So I saw that as a generational trauma, but the gender thing was a big part of that. And I think I had these ideas that as a woman, I have to be beautiful and I have to be skinny so that people will pay attention to me and they will listen to me. So that was the brief moment 
when I was a teenager and I was trying my best to be a woman. And then I found out if I'm pretty or like pretty in a very like slutty way so that people will pay attention to me, then people will still not take me seriously and listen to me, but they will abuse me. And they will pay attention to me, but it's not the type of attention that I want. So I did struggle as a female and as a woman, like both because of biological sex and because of my gender. But I think that if we focus in, like on Finland, then it's a lot loose, like a lot more loose, the gender stereotypes and rules and expectations and all that. Like we had our first female president when I was a kid and she's not like pretty feminine girl boss lady and she didn't have to be. And <laughs> like, I think I never had as a kid the idea that as a girl I can't be or I can't do whatever I want, especially because I had this dictator of a foster mom then it was a surprise for me when I started studying history and I learned that men are ruling the world and men have been ruling the world because in my life, all the authorities had always been female. Mm. And I saw our female president on TV and I had female teachers and principals and authority figures and my dictator foster mom and all the social service people, they were also female. So... I always thought as a child that women are running things and men are these like silent, obedient, like idiots who are just following orders. I hated my foster dad because he didn't speak up. Literally, he didn't speak and he didn't defend us. So I hated him for that. And yeah, I don't know if I have some type of resentment against men because of that. But <laughs> And I hated my own parents. Well, first, because my dad committed suicide first and then my mom followed so i hated them for that so <laughs> but i guess like i had some type of daddy issues and then <laughs> i don't know but yeah i i do think the gender roles and expectations played a part in my suffering but i think that it's mainly the influence of American culture. <laughs> I play, I place a lot of blame to American culture because even though I grew up on the countryside of Eastern Finland, like American culture is everywhere all the time. Like you can't get away from it. <laughs> we have to start studying English when we are nine. Well, that was when I was a child, but I heard that kids learn English immediately when they go to school at seven years old. So... American influence is everywhere and the American beauty ideals, culture and stereotypes and everything, it's, it's everywhere. So in the context of Finland, like we don't have those, like we don't have the stereotype that girls don't do sports, that sports is a boy's thing. To me, that is completely ridiculous and nonsensical because in my opinion, every kid does sports. Sports is a... It's, it's just a thing that everyone does <laughs> and being like physically active and that type of thing. So to me, a lot of American discourse and stereotypes 
are just completely nonsensical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we are not within Finland. <laughs> we are very much part of the international English-speaking world. For just in case there's somebody, uh, some young woman out there who is some way through her uh, gender journey, as they call it, what what process did you undergo to um, make peace with your womanhood and and yourself as a female? Because uh, I, I know that you understood in your story, you said that that had been something that you were using. The trans identity was something that you're using to hide from other things, but still casting off that trans identity, you have to come back to your female identity. Do you, or do you think about that? What was the process of, of making peace and finding harmony in that? That's still an ongoing process. The easiest thing for me at the beginning of my D transition was to acknowledge that I'm female. Because that was just me stating a biological fact. I was like, okay, I'm I'm a female. I was born female. I will die a female. I am a female. I can accept that. That's the bare minimum. And then beyond that, if you define womanhood by whoever identifies as a woman is a woman, then I'm not a woman because I don't identify. I don't identify as anything, and I don't not identify, and I'm not a non-binary. I don't have the need to fit into a stereotype and to be normal. I think my sense of needing to be normal stemmed also from my background growing up in foster care because I always knew that my life story is different, that my circumstances are different, that my life is really difficult for other people to understand. And I always, ever since I was a kid, I always had to explain to other kids and adults, like, why am I not living with my parents? Where are my parents? Who are my foster parents? What is a foster family? So I always felt that I'm weird and out of place and different. So for me, my gender journey was about me becoming normal. First, I tried to become a stereotypical woman to be normal. And then I was like, yeah, I hate this. And then I tried to be a man, to be normal as a man, because I thought it's easier somehow. And then I failed at that because I realized that, oh, yeah, being a man, it's not this like easy, fun, privileged thing to do. And I don't want to be a man. I'm not a man. So I kind of gave up on the idea of becoming normal. And I came to understand myself as a individual person. And I think for me, the biggest thing was to allow myself to be sad about my life. Because throughout my entire life, I was always told to be brave and happy and to perform and to perform and to perform. So I was like, okay, this is my timeout. I'm gonna be sad. (laughs) And then I realized that the trauma and the sadness will not crush me. Like I can handle it. I can be me and I can live with my past. And if I'm not the stereotypical woman, it doesn't matter. I don't have to live up to anyone's expectations. I don't don't exist for anyone else. I'm not anyone's dream daughter. I'm not anything for anyone. And I think like learning how to stand my ground and learning 
to grow out of codependency and to living for other people and other people's perspectives, like perspective of me, then I just learned to be me and accept that I might be weird. I don't care. <laughs> and I think that's so beautiful to see in a lot of detransitioners because I think a lot of detransitioned women, they are like, okay, I'm weird. Okay, I'm gonna be weird. I don't care. Like, <laughs> you can keep your normality. I don't want that anymore because it's suffocating. And I think that's beautiful indeed, transitioning. But to become okay with my womanhood, that's another thing. Because even to this day, I I don't look like this every day. I don't like have like super feminine body language or mannerisms on my YouTube channel. People are always like pointing out how like smiley and feminine I am. And I'm like, yeah, I put on this like pink dress to film this video and makeup, but I don't do makeup in my day to day life. Mm. I just wear whatever clothing I want. Sometimes I'm more well behaved. Sometimes I'm less well behaved. <laughs> and it's like, I don't, I don't care, but I think that, thing that I still struggle with is beauty and being seen as beautiful by other people. Because there was this specific day on my detransitioning when I was wearing a very like feminine outfit and I was hanging out with my friend and I was in a good mood. I was happy and smiley and I was wearing a skirt. And I guess I started to pass as a female and a woman and I looked feminine because I noticed in public that there was a man who paid attention to me. And immediately that like triggered my trauma. And I was like, no, don't you look at me. <laughs> and I was like, like, I don't want male attention because that is so painful to me. And I want none of that. So I still have the PTSD. I still have my like anxiety and panic issues and symptoms, and I still want to hide. So I think the hardest thing for me as a, as a woman in society is to learn how to be strong and to be okay with receiving attention sometimes or whatever. Like I understand that if I'm wearing like super flamboyant vintage outfit and I'm like standing out, then people are going to pay attention to me. But it's this like specific male attention that I'm like, nope, that's unsafe. I don't want that. But I recently turned 29. So I think aging is a blessing. And I think that as I'm aging, I'm aging my way out of male attention. <laughs> and I'm, I'm so happy about that. Mm. I feel like a lot of women and girls who are relying on being beautiful and pretty privileged and they are used to that type of attention and favors from other people. Then like I experienced that when I was young, when I was going through my like pretty girl phase before I realized I want to be ugly. I, <laughs> I've realized that aging is a lot of women for a lot of women. It's difficult for that reason because like they will age out of that privilege and that like, pretty privilege and attention and all those favors. But to me, it's the opposite. I'm like, okay, so as I age and as men will no longer pay attention to me, then I can start expressing myself and I can like feel beautiful and be charismatic and like go into the world and be visible because they will no longer pay attention to me and I can be happy. I, I You know, I, I don't want to burst your bubble, but I think 
people are going to be falling in love with you for some years to come. <laughs> so um, I'm sorry, you might have to make peace with that. Um, you just you have a, you have a light. So yeah, but I, <laughs> it's something that I can like. For me, like being charismatic, it's something that I can turn it on and off. I can become invisible. Like as a photographer, that's highly valuable. Like I can be invisible. I can sneak in somewhere and take photos and be invisible. And I can be performing. Like I have done some like performance arts also. So, yeah. But also about the male attention, it's that in Finland, we don't have like catcalling and harassment on public spaces and like rape in parks or whatever. I don't know. So I think like traveling outside of Finland was also so strange for me because I was used to living in Finland and being safe in that type of environment. But it's also like even in Finland, it's unsafe to be a teenager and to be blackout drunk alcoholic all the time. Like, of course, that's always going to be unsafe. If you're an anorexic teenage girl, blackout drunk, then someone is going to take advantage of that. But in public spaces, we don't have that type of culture of harassment and catcalling and like someone grabbing you in like rush hour public transport and then traveling to other countries and like encountering that. Like that was just like awful to me i don't know so i don't know how i'm gonna deal with that because when i was a man and i was traveling i was traveling alone i didn't even pay attention to how easy it is and how no one is paying attention to me no one is harassing me i'm safe i'm free i'm invisible but i was traveling in italy alone and i had these girls in the same hostel that i was they were staying there and they were surprised to learn that i was traveling alone and they said that oh i could never travel alone and i was like i'm traveling alone all over the world all the time like what's the issue and then i was like oh i'm i'm a man like even though i'm small and i was small even as a man but i made my voice as deep as possible i can't do it anymore but like i was able to have like a shirt shirt have all my tattoos out and like flex my tiny muscles and to shave my head and to use my deep voice and i was safe and and now i have to figure out how to <laughs> travel from now on <laughs> So it was hire it's, some security. Yeah, if my YouTube career takes off and I make a lot of money, <laughs> 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 or if my like remaining relatives keep dying and I inherit money, mm-hmm. then. But uh, it's detransitioning. It's been a really long and complicated and difficult process because if at the public sector and the gender clinics because I had to go back to the gender clinic and I basically had to transition from me male to female because there is no uh, detransitioners like officially <laughs> in the system there is no treatment plan for detransitioners it's like on an individual basis like one by one case but basically because there is no treatment plan for detransitioners then I had to transition from male to female even though I was detransitioning, but I had to go through the same process all over again. And I had to do all the paperwork to change my legal gender marker and 
like it's been really complicated, really difficult and a lot of like trauma work and a lot of this like PTSD stuff and like how to feel safe and and it's ongoing. <laughs> but I did gain some confidence from transitioning and living as a man. <laughs> Because I learned that as a man, you can't giggle your way out of things. So then I needed to be more confident and independent and take care of stuff, even though I've always been independent, but I didn't have the pretty girl privilege anymore. So I I do see value in transitioning in that sense. So it's not all bad, kind of, I don't know. I think it's psychologically beneficial to see positives in everything. So what's next for your channel? My student exchange and all of my video material that I have filmed throughout the summer. Because I I go on, I, like I have these periods of time when I'm just filming and filming and filming and I have so much to say and I'm ranting and ranting and filming and then at some point, I just have to stop filming and go through all the material and start editing and uploading the videos. And yeah, so I have a lot of material from the past summer. And now I've been dealing a lot with my like codependency issues. And I've seen a lot of like similarities with woke dynamics and codependency and how other people's emotional emotions and psychological well-being is other people's responsibility and there's no boundaries and everything is like a mess so i've been dealing with my codependency issues i've been filming that so i'll be uploading those but soon enough i'll be leaving finland to do my student exchange so i'll be vlogging about that and i'll see how woke my new school is going to be I, I think it's going to be even more woke than schools in Finland because we had to choose a study program. Like we had uh, selected our majors. I'm majoring in photography, of course, but we had to choose a study program. And all the definitions, they were they said specifically that this is about critical theory. This is about your identity. This is about activism. This is about learning ways to destabilize the world as we know it. Like they said that literally. And I was like, oh my God, I just gave up wokeism like yesterday. Like I'm growing out of wokeism. I don't want this. So let's see how that goes. Maybe you'll turn, turn the conversation around a little bit. Yeah, hopefully. I'm pretty confrontational <laughs> nowadays. <laughs> no more ple- people-pleasing, so <laughs> might might happen. Well, let's wrap up the interview. Very powerful, wonderful story. And even in the darkness that you've shared, there's just so much light. There's just so much light shining through you. So thank you for sharing that with me and my audience. Thank you. Congratulations for reaching the end of the discussion. If you enjoyed it, do be sure to leave a review or a comment or a thumbs up or whatever you need to do to show that glorious algorithm that this is some good stuff. And do be sure to go and check that back catalog as it is brimming full of fantastic conversations. Links to provide monetary support are down there in the description as well. Have a good night.